Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. It's a um, pleasure and a blessing to be here with you this morning and to share God's word. Um, Yes, third episode in our Superman HD series. For those who don't know, we're going through the Gospel of John and we're getting up close and personal with him who is the redefinition, the original and true definition of the Superman. He who is human and yet divine. And as we go in today, we're going to be looking at um, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And uh, the Lord help me. I don't want to, I can be a hype merchant sometimes. And I've, and, I've, and I've made a vow to the Lord by his grace. It's a very, it's a very dangerous thing to do, you know. Very dangerous to see how he look and be like, really? I said, I'm going to try and contain myself today. <sighs> and um, trust that the Lord's word would bring delight to our hearts. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever heard the introduction to a song and felt like this song already sounds like a hit. It already sounds like a banger. You just can't wait to hear the rest of the song. And at the end of the introduction, 8 bars, 16 bars, the song changes and it goes somewhere else. And you feel robbed. You feel failed. You feel as though they misled you. The introduction was so sweet. The introduction was so exciting. (laughs) You feel me, bro? That happens to me all the time. And, um... Yeah, as we look at the introduction to the Gospel of John, we will see that this isn't one of those introductions that will fail us. It definitely promises a lot. Oh my gosh, we had an absolutely sweet time on Thursday at Community Group. Oh my gosh, just unpacking the the first few verses there. And John is being very bold and audacious as he presents this introduction. He's not hesitating. He's taking the gloves off. And he's not pulling or holding his punches. He's going straight in for the juggler, as it were. As he introduces God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so, let's pray. And give our attention to the text. A lot to pack in. Father God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for the fact that, Lord, you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, you have opened the eyes of our hearts to behold wondrous things from your word. Your word that is the expression of, the written expression of your living word. 
who is God, our Savior. We thank you, Father, for doing this. And our prayer, our desire is that, Lord, we would get closer to you. That, Lord, we would know you more. That, Lord, we would be, be more intimately related to you by reason of Christ and the revelation of yourself through him. So help us today. Give us ears to hear. I pray, Lord, give us hearts that are willing, Lord, to trust and obey in the Savior. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. Amen. So in verses 1 to 18 here, which I'll read in a moment, um, I, I really contemplated what kind of introduction is this that John has given us? Um, many people have said that these 18 verses, in essence, summarize the gospel, in essence. And what we see communicated in these verses um, is very much going to be unpacked as we go through the gospel. And as I looked at it and poured over it and really considered it, 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 it kind of struck me a bit like this being the CV of the Son of God. Now, we may have had varied um, experience with CVs. Some of us probably hate writing CVs. Um, there are others who probably could give advice and guidance when it comes to writing CVs. Maybe some of us in the past have inflated ourselves on our CVs, only to be like that introduction that failed to live up to it in person. CVs are a funny thing. People put all kind of funny things on their CV. Imagine this. You're an employer and you receive a CV and in the about me section, someone says, my favorite color is taupe because it rhymes with dope. You're going you're gonna to play them, yeah? Or maybe their email address for responses is lazy sod. That's very inspiring to any employer, right? Achievements on their CV applying for work. Being sober. Or... Maybe it's one of those kind of self-contradicting CVs. <laughs> Key skills. Perfectionist with a keen eye for details. Now, those of you who don't have an eye for details, you won't have got that one. <laughs> Reason for leaving. It was hard work. Or maybe how about this one? Personal profile. I do have convictions, drug offenses, which I spent some 30 years ago for when I was 16 to 18 and have a caution 
for four years ago for criminal damage. Now, you can see that this individual definitely gets points for honesty, wanting to just put things up front. Um, but there's definitely some wisdom to be um, shared there, maybe, in that when doing a CV, first and foremost, the information you put on CV is by your choice. The aim of the CV is to get you the interview. And very often, these things are best discussed when you're in front of the employer and you've got the interview and they've been able to get a feel for you. So it's not that you have to hide it, but let the CV do its job in terms of getting you in the door where you can discuss and clarify those things. And so people take all kinds of different approaches to CVs. And as we look in our verses 1 to 18, we will see that the Apostle John presents an impeccable CV for one who would be deemed God the Son. Look with me at the text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we see John established from the outset. Who is this person? He is God. God the Word. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the Word made everything. The Word is creator. I mean if we were concerned about the experience of this individual... What kind of experience does this individual have that would cause us to have confidence that they are able to fill that position of being considered God? Well, only God has the power to create. What kind of qualities, verse 4? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, on face value, this could seem quite um, easy to overlook. But let's think about this for a moment. What we see John telling us here is that the Word created everything because he is self-existent and therefore has the self-generated power of life. Life is in the word. That life, now bear this in mind, John's primary focus here is spiritual life, not the emotional, psychological life. There's a different word that's used for that. Not the natural life. There's a different word that's used for that. But the word that John is using here is zoe, the divine quality of life, the spiritual life, the supernatural life. That life, which is in him, the word, is the source and substance of the light of all mankind. It is the source and substance of the light of all mankind. 
Now we'll clarify in a moment, what is that light? Because it's hurt my head really trying to work for it. Um, no one's been entirely committed as I've been reading, but there's been some great insights that I think will help us. Let's recognize this first and foremost. Spiritual life created physical life. In the beginning was the word. There was no creation. There was no matter. There was nothing. And from that place of spiritual existence, the existence of God, came physical life. We recognize, therefore, that the physical life testifies to a greater life from which it came. If the spiritual made the physical, which is the greater? All right. I'm going to have you talk to me today because it's a bit hot in here and I don't want any of you falling asleep. So the physical life testifies to a greater life from which it came. That greater life is where? According to verse 4. In him, the word. All right then. Now, that life is the source and substance, the source and substance of the light of all mankind. Walk with me for a moment. We see that all that is created, the physical life created from the spiritual life, is light. It says in verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That life, that spiritual life, was the light of all mankind. That spiritual life is, is expressed and made manifest through the physical life that exists. So the physical life that exists speaks of, sheds light on, gives revelation to the spiritual life that is its reality. Amen? All right. I'm taking my time to try and say this clearly so that at the very least, what you don't get now, you're going to get on the recording. So, the physical life brings revelation, testifies of the spiritual life. It sheds light. And so the term light is used by John in a couple of ways. One of them is revelation or understanding. Okay. Every human has physical life. Say that specifically. Every human has physical life. Now, you could say every human has spiritual life, but that wouldn't be categorically true. Every human has physical life, and those who have been made alive by Christ have experienced spiritual life. 
In Ephesians 2, it tells us that we were dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins. Now, it's too much of a digression and too much to try and fit in for me to explain that fully right now. So we just have to take the Bible's word for it at this stage. You can look into that in your own time. But we can, we can confidently say every human has physical life. Amen? All right. Humans cannot create life. As much as... I don't know if you remember, there was a time when um, Michael Jackson was supposed to have um, kind of frozen some of his, his, his genes um, or his, I don't know, his, his DNA and... Um, he would go into this kind of bubble thing. And the whole idea was to try and kind of promote some kind of hope of longevity. You know, maybe f- freezing his DNA so that at some point when humans discover the ability to give life by cryogenics, he would be restored to life. Somebody said, yay. He <laughs> No doubt. Now... We can be very confident, would you agree, that that ain't going to happen. Not even it's not going to happen anytime soon. That's not going to happen. Because humanity doesn't have the secret power to give life. Only God can give life. So even the life that we have must come from a greater source than creation. This life is a light or a means of revelation by which every human is aware of God. Everyone has life. We know that this life was granted. Once it's gone, it cannot be restored. This life has come from somewhere greater than this creation within which we exist. And therefore, testifies to the reality of God's existence. Now, the Apostle Paul said it much greater than I did. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature. His eternal power, remember that, and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Since when? Ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they people are without excuse. All people are without excuse. It doesn't matter how hardcore the atheist. In their heart then they know that there's a God. Because God has told us this in his word. We don't have to guess. We don't have to be persuaded by their arguments because in their hearts they know. I remember being in Campbell doing some outreach years ago. Um, Pastor P used to live down in um, Foxen Hill. What was that road? Champion Hill. Champion Hill, right by the um, Foxen Hill pub. And we occasionally would meet up there on a Saturday morning and then go into Campbell And I remember this time I was standing outside the McDonald's in Campbell by the bus stop. And um, I I remember speaking to a a guy and 
just a, a random individual, if you like, and we got talking about God. And he said, no, I don't believe in God. I said, really? I said, that's quite convenient. He said, why do you say that? I said, well, surely it's um, quite convenient because if you pretend there is no God, then you don't have to fear giving account to him, which everyone's going to do. He said, oh, you're trying to scare me now. I said, why would I scare you if there's no God? There's nothing to be scared of. Everybody in their heart knows that there's a God. And so, the life that we experience, which testifies of the life eternally existing in God, speaks to us of the fact that there is a God. It convicts the heart. It's interesting in this verse, verse 4 here, that John says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It's interesting because the life is in the word. And in creation, what do we see in Genesis 1? Before there was anything, the first thing that there was, was God. And the first thing that God spoke into existence was light. And God said, let there be light. And so to the Jewish mind, they would have equated light and life together. But even in the Gentile mind, they would have equated life and light together. Only in a different way. You see, in civilizations, in fact, historians say that sun worship or solar deities can be found throughout most of recorded history in various forms. So throughout the history of humanity, going back as far as anybody can work out, there's been some form of worship of the sun. The sun being recognized as the source of life. By it, plants grow, the ecosystem. And even in times of ignorance, people understood that we need that sun for life. But John doesn't say that the light is the source of life. He says that life, that spiritual life, is the source of the light. So for all of those people worshipping the sun, what's John saying? There's something greater than the sun that you're worshipping. The sun that you're worshipping, relying on for light, and for life, sorry, there is one greater from which that light has come. And the life is in him. It, what power? Huh. So when we begin to think about the qualities of the word, what qual he possesses the power of life itself within him. Well, has he been effective? Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it.
These, these days when people are doing CVs, there's a great emphasis on you proving how effective you've been. Don't just tell us what you've done, but show us how effective you've been. Well, that life that is the light of all mankind causes that light to shine in the darkness and the darkness not to overcome it. As at creation, the word from spiritual life inherent within him created light and there was no darkness. Now, in this, we see that there's a physical association, but also we see um, a suggestion to John's other use of the term light, which is one of moral faithfulness. And so he uses light also in a moral sense. And on both fronts, we see that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness never wins. Have you ever um, wondered how is it that darkness is measured? What is the unit for measuring darkness? Some of you are trying to roll a dex back into your, your GCSE lessons. Trying to think, boy, did I miss that one? The unit for measuring darkness, I must have... Some of you bailed out on physics long before that. Well, the unit for measuring darkness does not exist. Because there is no unit to measure darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Scientific as well, bro. Trust me. Darkness is the absence of light that tells us that light wins every time. They measure light in lumens, natural light, physical light. You're going to buy a projector, they'll tell you how many lumens it is and so on and so forth. I guess that's one means of measuring light. I don't know how they measure laser light. But um, regardless of whether it's a match, the light from your phone, I know there's been X amount of times you've been looking in your car with your, the light of your phone, looking in your bag. Look. However seemingly small or insignificant, the light always wins. So that revelation given by that light exposes the moral darkness of the human heart. And we'll see more about that in a moment. But we have to appreciate that the light was necessary for all people because all people have lived in darkness. From the time of the fall, when Adam relinquished his relationship with God, his right relationship with God, by eating of the fruit that he was commanded not to, sin came into the world, darkness into the human heart. 
And yet the light of the word dispels that darkness which has touched everybody. Verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So here we see the Apostle John presenting God the Son's references. <laughs> John the Baptist this speaks of. Herald for the king. Is regarded and recognized as a reliable and accepted witness. You see, all of the people in, in, in Israel of that time... The general word on the street was, you know what? You can say what you like, you know, but John the Baptist is a prophet. We see that recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as John later on in chapter 5. People may not have liked John the Baptist, but they had to respect that he was a man sent from God. And so as John the Apostle now pulls out credentials... Who are your referees that you're presenting in favor of this individual that you're promoting for this position of God the Son? Well, you know that guy that everybody recognizes is from God. He's your number one reference right there. He wasn't the light even though there were people and John had to kind of had to emphasize this. So you remember in the book of Acts... There, there were some disciples that Paul, the apostle, met. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we've not so much as heard of the Holy Spirit. And so he turns around and he says, so what baptism did you receive? And he, they said, we received the, the baptism of John, i.e. John the Baptist. See, they were still disciples of John the Baptist, even after Christ's death and resurrection. John is writing this many years after Christ's death and resurrection. And so even in this, he's, he's highlighting and underlining the fact that actually, there are people that still esteem John thinking he's the light. But he's not the light, just to be clear. He came only as a witness to the light. But he is a ready reference. See, the true light, verse 9, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. <coughs> he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You see, the word is regarded as the true light. There are many false lights. I don't know if you've ever tried to look up in the sky at night, on those rare occasions we get a clear night over the London city and try to kind of look at the stars. I remember standing there as a, as a younger person and looking up, trying to work out which one's the North Star, which one's the Pole Star. And I was um, with my godfather and I said, I pointed and I said, is that one the Pole Star? 
He said, you know, the pole star is basically the one that generally shines the brightest. And he said, nah, I know that one's very bright, but that one's not a star. That one's not a star. What do you think it might have been? Satellite. Satellites are far from qualifying as being stars. And as I looked out, at first I couldn't work out well, how do you know that's a satellite from the actual stars? And even now, I don't really know, to be honest. He said it's something to do with the way that they twinkle, that they, 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 they twinkle more than the stars do, and they close, uh, whatever. But there was some way to recognize that even as you looked into the night sky to look for stars, that there were going to be things that may have appeared to be, but they're not. There are many lights in this world purporting themselves, promoting themselves to be the light. But the word, he is the true light, the final and authoritative and definitive light that gives light to everyone. Now, that phrase can be a bit confusing because it might seem like, well, that means everybody who's born is born with the light of God in them. Further um, supporting that notion that people think, well, we're all God's children, right? Well, one of the ways that might be helpful for us to appreciate and understand this, which doesn't, it's not come across well in its translation, is the fact that what John is saying here in verse 9 is the true light sheds light on everyone. The true light brings everyone under its spotlight. I remember watching those cartoons back in the day when there was no remotes <laughs> and TV was black and white. And I always used to kind of confuse me. I used to think to myself, these cartoons are so far-fetched. Because you'll see like Tom and Jerry... Yeah, you know I was a bad man, innit? Watching Tom, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Tom and Jerry, they're there and at some point they're in like a prison scene or something and they're trying to escape from prison and the lights are going round and swooping round and then all of a sudden the light falls on them and they stop like that. <laughs> Next to the wall, still, like they're hoping not to be seen and then the light moves off and they keep going. And you think to yourself, how did you not get seen the light was right on you? <laughs> Apart from the fact that they're a 2D in character and they were black and white them days, isn't it? So they could have just looked like a shadow. There's no one that is missed by the spotlight of the true light. And in the true light, everybody is exposed. Everybody. so the true light came into the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him yeah just another satellite yeah not the real deal I've got better over here seen my latest halogen and that's where we have all been. 
in that place where at one point in our darkness we rejected the light. Maybe there are some who are still in that place where you only want the light when it's convenient for you. But you enjoy your time in darkness to the extent where you still reject the light when it's inconvenient. No one escapes exposure under the beam of the true light. So, in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Rejected by those who should have expected. The Jews had a long-awaited expectation of the Messiah. It was prophesied, if we take it back to Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, would come and crush the head of the serpent. And from that time, there was an expectation that went throughout the ages, throughout the generations, that was clarified and developed and built on. And so God says to Moses in Deuteronomy that there will be a prophet greater, a prophet greater than Moses who will come. He says to Daniel in 2 Samuel 7, A king will sit on your throne and it will be an eternal throne. And so there was this escalating expectation. And yet, even though the light came into the world, according to prophetic fulfillment, he was rejected. Verse 12. Yet, All who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believed in his name. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, everybody's not born a child of God. And as much as we may understand this ourselves, we need to help others to understand the reality of this. Yes, everybody's point of origin comes from God. And so there are certain times when the scriptures will use the term father in the sense of being what the, the, the technical term is progenitor. The source from which that person has come. But that doesn't relationally mean that everybody is a child, a son, an heir of God. And it was necessary for the word to come in order to give life to those who would believe. Spiritual life, renewed life. In order that we might be 
able to be adopted into the family of God through faith in his name. And this isn't a birth of natural descent, verse 13, not of human decision or a husband's will, not physical procreation, but born of God. But born of God. And already your mind flashes to John chapter 3 and we haven't got there yet, but it causes you to consider maybe unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can't even see it, let alone enter it. Unless a man is born again. And so I think that's a, that's, that's a teaching, that's a truth that in many ways has been lost, um, has been kind of underplayed amongst Christians today. I think there was a certain time in recent church history where people kind of had a backlash to this term born again. Ah, these born again Christians. Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a born again. A born again. And it was seen as some, like having some kind of negative connotation. But the reality is that if anyone is a Christian, if anyone is truly a Christian, then they must have been born again. This speaks to us of the need for spiritual regeneration. Us being made alive. Remember Ephesians 2. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But have been made alive through Christ Jesus. Now, how does that work? It's difficult to explain. A very crude example. How can somebody be physically alive and yet spiritually dead? Remember, every analogy stands on two legs. If you push it too far, what happens? It will fall over. It's going to fail. So... You have a mobile phone. You have a mobile phone that is powered, it's charged most of the time. Apart from those infuriating occasions when it's, it just dies on you, when you're using it as a sat-nav and you don't know where you are. But you know them ones. But you have a phone, it's charged, it's got life. But it has no connection, it has no SIM. Now, that's the kind of phone that you give to kids to play with, right? Because they're not going to run up like ridiculous bills on you. There's, there's not much that they can do with that phone. They can make noises with it and words can come up and they can pretend to text and they can do all of these things, but nothing's going to happen. There's no communication with anyone apart from who? Well, themselves. But there is another form of communication. You didn't know this, right? You can try this if you like. You know that with a phone with no SIM, you can call 999. At least you used to be able to. I remember doing it once. Scared the daylights out of me. But you're supposed to be able to phone emergency services with a phone that has no SIM. No network. No contract. No credit. (laughs) 999. 
that call for help can be made. And in some ways, it's just like a kind of very rough example to me of that individual who they are disconnected from God. They seem to have lights and noises. But there is no real life until that connection has been made and the credit has been given that can only be given by he who is the word. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. See, John, I mean, we could have just had our message for the next four weeks on this one verse. I'm not even joking. It's too much. This, this chapter so far has been like the, the, the build-up of a firework. You know when the firework gets launched and you hear the scream? And then this is the explosion moment. When all the, the lights and the beauty and the wonder is released. And it just hangs there in the air. And that hanging in the air is the rest of the chapter. This is that moment being defined for us that civilizations of the ages have waited for. Throughout civilizations, they've had all kinds of stories of myths and legends when the gods came among men and had offspring. I mentioned last time, Hercules. If you go back into Egyptian history, um, Osiris. And Horus and Isis and in every civilization there's been legends of this kind. There's been this innate expectation which started in the garden. And John tells us that the word who is God became flesh. And he made his tabernacle, his tent among us. Using terms that reference back to the Old Testament and the tabernacle of Moses, which was the meeting place of God and man. The word became flesh. And John says, we have seen his glory. What a glorious sight to behold. The God-man, the glory of the one and only Son. Unique. Like no other before or after. Who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. He who is divine took on humanity without any compromise to his divinity without any confusion to his humanity this moment when the seed arrives and so John doesn't talk 
explicitly about the virgin birth. But we see it implicitly referred to here. That God the Son would become a man, take on human form, take on human nature, and live among humanity. It's mind-blowing. And we recognize that this is not merely a natural occurrence, but a supernatural occurrence. We recognize that this is something that is beyond our understanding. Theologians have coined the term, this is the hypostatic union that divinity and humanity could dwell together in one person. Neither nature compromised. 100% God, 100% man. A friend of ours um, wrote an album back in 98 um, that we had the pleasure of contributing to. And it's one of my favorite albums of all time. The album's called Christology in layman's terms. Christology in layman. You know what you're getting when you buy that album. And believe me, it lives up to the name. And he's got this lyric. He says, I know it's deep, but when you peep, you'll find it's dense. Jesus, both God and man, 200%. It is deep and it is dense. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus, the living word, is both God and man, 200%. Why 200%? Because he's 100% God and 100% man. HD right there. Human and divine. Wayne Grudem in his um, tremendous work, Systematic Theology, he says that this experience can be summarized in this phrase. The incarnation is that point at which Jesus, remaining what he was, became what he was not. Remaining what he was, remaining divine, became what he was not, human and divine. Now, there are, like I said, so much that could be said about that. And as we get together in community group, we're going to unpack what does that mean? What are the implications of that? But consider this, Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and men. And immediately we can see why he's qualified to mediate on man's behalf. Because he is both God and man. And so he stands as one who is equal in both realms. In nature. He is human by nature, but he's also divine by
by nature. Now, obviously, we understand that he's not merely equal in authority. He is supreme. He is sovereign. But by way of nature, he shares the nature of humanity whilst also sharing the nature of divinity. A suitable and satisfactory substitute who would mediate on behalf of sinful men. So, verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He comes after me. So he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So John ascribes greatness to the king in a way that is actually naturally confusing because who was John the Baptist's mum? Elizabeth. And um, John the Baptist is actually Jesus' natural cousin. Yeah? All right then. And who was pregnant first? Elizabeth. John the Baptist, they say, was at least six months older than Jesus. So there was a significant space between them, even to allow for an early arrival of Christ, which, you know, they say that God may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. And a late arrival for John. Even taking into consideration of that, John was older than Jesus. And yet, John says Jesus was before him. Jesus was before him. We'll see that theme picked up again as Jesus speaks to the the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. The infinite nature of our Christ. (coughs) I mentioned last week that there were a few heresies that I used to believe as a Christian. Um, Thankfully, they didn't disqualify me from being a Christian, at least. God in his mercy sustained me and helped bring me um, to fuller understanding. But one of the heresies that I used to um, hold to was that um, Jesus became the son at his birth. Now that was a heresy that was um, categorically silenced and refuted by early church. Um, And actually it's funny, I'm surprised at how common that um, that notion is because um, I was speaking to someone the other day who I won't mention by name because we all know him. I just say that to bit because all your minds are going to be working now. And um, we, was, we were speaking just the other day, a couple of days ago, trying to give you clues. To <laughs> and he said, yeah, you know, because I used to think that Jesus never existed until his birth. This is as a Christian. That Jesus never existed until his birth. So like us, there was no pre-existence. And at the point at which he was born... That's when Jesus became 
God's Son. And yet, we recognize that the scriptures do not support these notions. Jesus is the eternal Son. We see that again in verse 14 there. The glory of the one and the only Son. And so John testifies to this. Praise God for reliable referees. Verse 16. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace, people say the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace. Actually, we see even in this statement that that which was before, there was grace there. It was actually God's gracious will to give the law as a means by which he would reveal himself and teach the people of his holiness and righteousness. That was an expression of God's grace. And yet, this speaks that out of the fullness of the word, the Son, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And the sense here is, um, John Piper uses the, the phrase, eternal waves of grace, just lapping, lapping over us luxuriously. God's grace poured out in abundance. For the law was given through Moses, verse 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John acknowledges Christ as greater than Moses. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here we see John make the first reference to the name of the word who is the son of God, Jesus Christ. And he makes a clear connection to he who became flesh. He makes a clear connection. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And yet in verse 14, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so John is explicitly stating, Jesus Christ is the Word, God the Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, And is in the closest relationship with the Father. (coughs) Sorry. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is himself God. And is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. John goes full circle and arrives right back at the beginning. There's a, um, a principle that I heard of a, a, a while back um, with regard to public speaking. And um, whilst working on a project, somebody advised that, you know, a very good approach to trying to convey information and get a message to stick 
is the principle of what they call primacy and recency. The first time I'd heard that phrase, this was um, an unusual setting at the time. I won't go into that. But primacy and recency. So you want your proposition to, to be the first thing that people hear and the last thing that they're left with. The first thing we hear in this introduction, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The last thing we hear, just in case there's any doubt, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. So you may be in the place where you're examining CVs as to who would be your savior. Who could you trust in to truly connect you with God through whom you would receive life everlasting. John makes it unequivocally clear No if, buts, or maybe. Jesus Christ is God. God the Son. With all of the experience, qualities, credible references. All of which are not just a hype. Because at this point, John invites us. Look, read on and you will see for yourself that what I'm saying is not hype. It's not joke. This is the real deal. Jesus Christ is God the Son. The Word became flesh. And he is worthy of our praise. And he is worthy of all honor and glory. Because the Father has given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there are no contenders that can test. No challengers that can manage him. Because he is the light of the world who overcomes darkness. And so trust Jesus. Trust Jesus daily. Say, I've been a Christian since when? I trust Jesus. Trust him daily. Because the reality is that all of us continue on a day-by-day basis to wrestle with with our own darkness in our hearts. As we wrestle with the remnants of our human nature stained by sin. Darkness in this world. And yet, God invites us to walk in the light who is Christ. So I'm going to ask the team to come back and join me. And I'm going to pray. Father God, you have done that which is audacious, entirely unexpected. You have sent your son into the world 
to share in our nature. A high priest who can relate to us and to whom, more importantly, we can relate to. We know that Jesus being divine knows all things. He knows us. He knows that we are but dust. He knows our frame. And yet, Lord, you have done such an amazing thing in granting us confidence and assurance in that knowing. Lord Jesus, we exalt you as God. We worship you and adore you. Because truly you are worthy of honor and praise. Help us. Help us as we submit our lives to you daily. Help us to stand firm in the truth of who you are. That we wouldn't be given to other contenders who would seek the place of Lord in our lives that we would submit and surrender our all to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the fact that you died on the cross. You, the, the, the word of God, God in human form, that you died on the cross for us, that truly we might be brought into relationship, right relationship with God, adopted as sons, as heirs, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this great assurance that we have by the work of your Spirit. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for the last song?
treasure, Lord, you are my friend and king, anointed one, both holy. I will exalt you. I will. Father God for who you are Lord thank you Father God that you are mighty God Lord your wonderful counselor Father God that you are our hiding place even though you are high above all the heavens Father God that you take time to look at us Lord when we're lower than the low Father and you died for us Lord the light that came Lord and the darkness that can't overcome it Lord Jesus thank you that you are our life and our light Father thank you that we can sing to you as our God and our Father and our Savior and our friend Father Jesus 
And I pray, Lord, that this week we can remember that daily, Lord. Remember your sacrifice daily, Lord, and walk in that light, Lord, as you are in the light. Amen. Amen. If you have um, any need of prayer, please do come forward um, after and we would um, be pleased to pray with you, the care team are about. And um, the Lord is our strength and our song. Let the Lord be your strength and your song this week. Jesus is Lord. He is God. He knows you. The Bible says that he was in in all ways tested, yet without sin. He is strong and mighty. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's say the grace together. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest, remain and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen. The Lord bless you guys. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.